yesterday a uh, Pitchfork news item about how a website called uh, Hit Piece was uh, taking album covers of, yeah, taking album covers and posting them as NFTs with like live with live bidding going on for them and of course there was like a huge uh outcry of of uh, indie artists such as uh, Sadie Dupuis of Speedy Ortiz and uh, Ted Leo and a bunch of others who are like what the fuck is going on here of course Eve 6 the, the very online of very Twitter Eve 6 the yeah so the, uh, the the hit piece uh, company came out you know with a statement because there was all this issue and they wrote a uh, uh, to be clear, artists get paid when digital goods are sold on HitPiece, like all beta products. We are continuing to listen to all user feedback and are committed to evolving the product to fit the needs of artists, labels, and fans alike. Which was such like a huge like fuck you because it's like they're just taking album covers uh, and throwing them online no, and dude, making NFTs. An NFT of the experience of seeing an album cover. It's totally different than the album cover. It's creating itself. community. It's actually yeah, it's creating community around. But uh, it's just interesting because I think it just illustrates like all of my own uh, skepticism about this entire space right now and why I am just completely, yeah, just completely skeptical. Like how, if you, cause already we're, cause there's just so many low level, like three cup on the street scam artist type fucking dudes in this space. And I'm just like, I just, how are you going to protect your IP when like losers like this are already fucking causing issues and like really not much has happened yet? So we are here once again with our friend, friend of the pod, David Turner of the amazing Penny Fractions newsletter. Um, a man of many thoughts, a man of many talents. I'm happy to be back. I am so happy to be back. Um, I would say that I also, yeah, my disclaimer of my day job is at SoundCloud. None of the thoughts, opinions, or views expressed here represent SoundCloud or SoundCloud LLC or a SoundCloud holding company. I don't know if we have a holding company, but just in case. We are here today to have a follow-up, uh, I think, to a conversation that, that, that Sax and I had, uh, Saxon and I had kind of explicitly six to eight months ago and that's really been bubbling through music since which is the kind of continued well the 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 rise and crash of nft transactions it's non-fungible tokens which we're uh, gonna give it like a brief description of for a second it was a a huge fad over the summer last you know basically a year ago like february through june since crashed but they've the ideas have continued to sit around and percolate. They're the leading edge of a broader set of crypto or blockchain-based music, technology, social experiment, innovation, question mark. And and we're here today, I think, to, to kind of look past, like Saxon said, um, the, the vast proliferation of three-card Monty bullshit out there and see if we can see something more in this space or if as some people in this conversation might believe it's three card monty the whole way down yes yes so i i kind of want to sort of come into this with like i guess like a little bit of like a a, a disclaimer i am kind of a crypto hater just like just going to be like full stop um i don't particularly care for crypto i don't particularly care you like dogecoin for a that's where actually I think one of the things that I want to say is that one of the reasons I don't particularly like crypto and one of the reasons I think I like kind of increasingly had sort of a turn against crypto 
was because, yeah, last year I like bought some like crypto stuff and lost money. And like, that's whatever happens. You, you place bets, you lose bets. That's not a big deal. But one of the things that I've started, as I started following a lot more of the Web3, crypto, Bitcoin space a lot more, is that you never hear from losers. It's always winners. Kind of like gambling. You only hear from the people that are like doing well and getting those lot of tickets. You don't see the people who scratch 10 and then just sort of leave them on the street. And I guess sometimes I kind of want to speak a little bit more for the people who are not winning and not where they weren't going to make it. They were not they were not GMing in the morning. None of those people. I mean, I don't know. When I uh, engage with a crypto web three spaces, I feel like I only see losers. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's good. It's fun. It's oh, holy good. shit. Okay, so I have to say, though, real quick, that in the lead up to this, you were very kind to send us a uh, very detailed email with a lot of links around Web3 and music NFTs. And you sent a two-hour video, which I did not watch, but I did click on it. And the first comment with 16,000 likes by simply a user named Raspberry wrote, I'm sick of people bashing the obvious utilities of NFTs. The ease with which I can look at a person's profile see their involvement with NFTs, and then identify them as blood-sucking sociopaths is revolutionary. (laughs) (laughs) That's a really good YouTube video. I I will say that that, um, I think the folding (laughs) ideas or folding thoughts um, YouTube video on NFTs is pretty strong. I would say it's good. Let's, before we dive in too far, I think it's useful to to really briefly, um, for anyone who has been blissfully unaware... (laughs) To just really quick lay the ground, really quickly lay the ground terms for what we're talking about here, right? Saxon uh, recently shared me a, a, a link uh, to a football podcast that he listens to with a, a Guardian Tech reporter, which is the clearest, most perfect explanation of this I've ever heard. So I'm basically gonna roughly paraphrase him very quickly. My, my love for sports is finally like coming through to show that it's actually a worthwhile like endeavor. <laughs> I want to say my my appreciation of basketball and NFTs will uh, that'll come later in the show cuz I had a lot of NBA NFT stuff to, unfortunately. So, basically, blockchain is a se- decentralized network of computers all of which kind of agree on reality together, which means through a, through a thing called a ledger. It's not really important here and now. It means that you can store and verify digital assets. There's a, a variety of ways to do that. The most ob- famous one is blockchain, which is a digital currency, where basically the sole purpose of blockchain is to verify who and where where the blockchain is and who has it. Um, and because all of the computers in the network have to agree on a shared reality, basically, it's impossible for me to just write a program to, to arbitrarily change how many blockchain there are on my computer. So a cryptocurrency is a currency that runs on a blockchain. That's cryptocurrencies. NFTs basically are using that same technology to issue basically like a, a digital asset, let's say a, a picture of a monkey, which is probably the most popular ones, question mark and kind of a certificate of authenticity via that shared ledger that agreed upon reality by all of the computers in the network saying that yes saxon does indeed own 
this picture of a digital monkey. It sounds super complicated and technologically maybe it is, but I, I think that kind of gives us the ground rules. And, and so over the summer, spring into summer, there was a huge boom in musicians minting NFTs, that is making limited edition digital goods and selling them to the tune of millions and millions and millions of dollars. If you want more on that, we did an episode about um, how I called uh, how I learned to, to stop worrying and love NFTs. Uh, you could check that out in uh, the show notes. So, given all of that, given the kind of rise and fall of of, of the crypto NFT music world boom, we're here to kind of talk about people have different kinds of ideas about this space and ways it could be used for really changing the way that music functions online because for most working musicians, for many music fans, it's clear that the streaming model has replicated and maybe even accentuated the kinds of inequalities that that have long structured the re- structured the record industry. And so there's a lot of really interesting work it seems coming out of this space to 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 rethink what what the future might look like in a crypto blockchainy potentially NFT driven way. Yeah, so I think one of the things that I found just I guess a little bit frustrating with a lot of this space is that Many of the NFT music NFT projects um, that are sort of going on right now, some of them are like mint songs, catalog, um, sound.xyz. Um, some of these are projects where I know some of the folks, so I'm not going to be like too mean. But I think like a lot of them are basically just kind of repurposing, repurposing of sort of the idea of the album, basically. It's just trying to like center people to buy a singular product and trying to get hype around a singular product. That's what Sound.xyz, which for context, Sound is founded by David Greenstein, who's the son of Scott Greenstein, who's an executive at SiriusXM. Um, and they're funded, they got $5 million of funding from Andreessen Horowitz, one of the old school like um, Silicon Valley VC firms. They are also, that round of funding was also helped by 21 Savage. Um, and Matt Dryhurst and Holly Herndon of the Interdependence podcast also helped in that round of funding. Um, so you can kind of sort of see a really fun circle of people in this space at the moment. But Sound does, what they do with NFTs is they basically mint like 25, like 25 NFTs around a song release and then hype up the song release. The NFTs usually sell out. Oh, and that's like basically all that project is. And like there are a dozen to a half dozen more projects just like it that kind of exist out there in the world. And I, every time I look at it, I'm like, but that's just like an album, like a limited album sale. That's like a limited edition thing. I don't really know what's exciting about it, but people are spending thousands of dollars maybe on a lot of these things. So yeah, so that's kind of one of the, that's one of the projects that's sort of out there and sort of getting a little bit of traction, but it's also a the form that a lot of these music NFTs are taking right now is that particular shape, at least in some spaces right now. Yeah, and I think that like it's it's useful maybe to to when thinking about some of these things to kind of separate out NFT or 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 blockchain related music uses that are just like this little nice ancillary thing. I think you're a hundred percent right, right? Like this is a little limited edition piece of swag. There's been limited edition piece of swag, pieces of swag with music for a while. Um, box sets, really shiny versions of Watch the Throne on vinyl, 
any, you know, right? And, like, at some level, I feel like, uh, you know, Saxon and I on the show, I think a lot of times, think about music as a commodity, right? And how music functions in the world as a commodity and as, like, very specifically, like, a mass commodity. And so I do feel like having this, like, little ring of, like, bonus extra, like, limited edition experience totally makes sense like lots of stuff happens online sure sell limited edition things online but it doesn't like fundamentally i don't see anything particularly revolutionary there as a way to like fundamentally change the way that music operates as a commodity which in some ways given the amount of hype and the amount of oxygen that this conversation has taken up in the music and technology space i feel like (laughs) you better be revolutionary if it's just like a little cute nice add-on that brings in like it's like a a sick merch it's like a sick tour t-shirt like that's cool and all but then like why are we (laughs) why are we here (laughs) and i think and we can get into this later there are other applications and there are other thoughts and other ways of sort of thinking about this technology and use cases for it that are maybe more challenging and maybe a little bit more interesting. But Sam, I think the majority of these are exactly what you described. Or for example, there's another company called Royal, which again is backed by um, by Andreessen Horowitz. I'm sorry, I'm gonna keep mentioning Andreessen Horowitz because um, Web3, which is just a rebranding of crypto, is mostly an Andreessen Horowitz like PR project. So I feel like I have to mention that a lot. And Andreessen um, Horowitz joint. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, yeah. So, but a, yeah, A16Z, um, they backed um, this company called Royal, which is done by this um, electronic music producer named Blau, who's been in, in the electronic music space for like over a decade. Blau played at my college, I think my freshman year, actually. So, um, but like, I will say the reason I want to mention this is so like Royal creates NFTs that were basically, if you buy the NFT, you can, get pay, like, you can buy like basically parts of a song. So if you wanted to buy like an NFT for like the songwriting on like an Ariana Grande song, potentially, that's kind of what Royal is offering. And I think that it's become, it's an interesting because I think in the last couple of weeks, there is a story in media research which is like a music industry research firm. And then also another sort of person in the music web three space, um, Baz, who's like runs this newsletter called Music X, like Music, music X Tech or something kind of like that. He, sorry, sorry, Baz, you're a really good guy. I just can't remember the name of your newsletter. Um, but he like put out one where they both, both were like, wait a minute, there's a lot of questions around owning an NFT that's paying you streaming royalties. Like one, securities, question mark. Two, what if the song you own isn't actually like good? Also another big question. And also three, do we want fans to be owning parts of an artist's library in this particular context? question mark and so i think that like that's like another one and there are like a number of nft stuff because i like listened to an, an interview with blau on bankless which is like a big like crypto like um youtube like um youtube series and like publication they like basically were like so excited when blau was talking about the ability to own fractional shares of songs and they were like oh my god i've always wanted to short country music because i hate country music which i like Really was like when I heard that quote, I was like, that basically described a lot of the crypto music vibes to me was like, oh, yeah, you just want to like make some money off of things you don't like, not that you want to support the artist that you love or anything. Well, I I think that before we get too deep into this space, I think it's important to kind of pull back and, you know, uh, you keep mentioning Andreessen Horowitz 
also known as A16Z. And I think it's really important because you said that it's pretty much just like this big PR push by them because they really want to push for Web3 because essentially it's a unregulated space and like a libertarian wet dream is uh, the interpretation that I have and also I've, I've heard from other people who are way more involved in this sort of Silicon Valley tech space. And I think adding to the point that you just made, when we think about the motivations of all this, it's just really hard to take any of this seriously when a firm like Andreessen Horowitz is pushing for this so much. And it's interesting that when you look at the Venn diagram, you have people like Matt Dryhurst being in the same space as Andreessen Horowitz. And I feel like those are the sort of like the two sides that are um, both, as you say, supporting these new platforms and these new ventures as well, but also in a sense kind of at odds about how they want to shape this space. And and I think that we have to take that in consideration when we're considering like any of these sort of platforms or any of these ventures or any of these things, like just making sure to like step back a little bit and be like, who's involved in this? Like who's pushing this? Like kind of follow the money, I guess, which is really interesting. And I think that when we continue this conversation, we should definitely make sure to like, to also talk about, you know, as you were kind of, you were saying earlier, maybe we should just dive in now. Some of the more like, um, utopic envision i guess i'll say uh adventures or like what say uh you know holly and matt from from the interdependence podcast both also like artists and musicians um you know what do they envision in this space because what they envision is i think maybe it does overlap a little bit with the investors of andreas and horowitz but also i think is very much at odds and i think that they're the ones that i'm most interested in really listening to because i don't really trust the three yeah, Monty so, tech bros <laughs> or any of them who are like getting money from the likes of anybody like andreessen horowitz yeah i think so i think so interdependence is like a podcast on my matt dryhurst and holly herndon who are two sort of two contemporary musicians who holly's music i guess kind of in sort of an, ex an experimental sort of electronic kind of space but also kind of does like a number of different things. And Matt's like, also Matt is one of, is one of her like main collaborators. And they're, I, I, I like them a lot. I've been on their podcast. Um, I probably diverge a bit from the, with them on a number of these issues or issues and topics around web three and sort of a lot of crypto stuff. It's just not, it's just not my bag in the same way. But I think for them, and I think this is also, which makes a lot of sense is that it allows them to sort of reclaim their audience which is, I think, something that as podcasters themselves, and I'm sure as podcasters yourselves, also, and as a newsletter writer myself, I definitely understand a desire to like have more control of your audience, more control over how you're getting paid, and not feeling like everything is being mediated by platforms that you have no real say over. Like that's sort of a very consistent theme on their show is sort of the lack of sort of democracy with a Facebook, with a YouTube, with a Patreon even. And that's something that I feel like is what really motivates them and a number of the people in their community is this sense of being freelancers in some capacity, be it a musician, be it a filmmaker, be it an artist, and then having to increasingly over the last 15 years rely on platforms that you don't really have a lot of say over. And obviously, I don't think we need to get into the whole 
issues of politics around Twitter, Facebook, or YouTube, because, I mean, you have other episodes that sort of go into that. But it's like, those aren't platforms that for artists have been ex- exceptionally friendly over the last couple of decades. And so Web3 and some of these newer ones offer sort of a possibility for starting new, basically. It's sort of like a fresh slate, sort of a, or of a new way to sort of a new set of beginnings for this sort of mediating sort of mu- music digitally. Yeah, no, that makes that makes a tremendous amount of sense to me. And I do, I mean, and I, I'm really sympathetic in many ways to that perspective, right? Like, and I feel like you, you could argue that one way to think from like kind of like a, like a techno-social standpoint of the history of music in the past 20 something odd years is that the tools have primarily been all on one side, right? They've been on the side of the platforms. They've been on the side of the advertisers. They've been on the side of the aggregators, and that, like, like I think you gestured to that, there is a, a a perspective that the the kinds of decentralization that Web three allows, and the kind also of disruption that Web three allows, that there's a real excitement in this space. That, like you said, I think it, you know, that there's it's a there's a chance to make something new here, and there's a chance to to reshape like the future. And I and I really do understand why that's profoundly exciting. I mean, kind of like you, I, I tend to be somewhat skeptical, partially because I'm a historian. So like I fundamentally, like to the core of my bones, believe that there is no fresh starts in right? Like that, like so there's always the powerful groups that existed before are almost always gonna continue to be powerful groups in the in the future. Or or like that power needs to go somewhere, right? Like they don't, power can dissipate from a group. Groups can reform. But like the record industry, I don't think is actually just going to like, like you're going to wave a crypto wand at Universal Music and it's going to be like, ugh, vanished by like the truth and valor and meritocratic, iconoclastic, disruptive thinking embedded in this protocol. They're going to be like, oh, we'll figure out a way to monetize around this. And I think that generally, like, one of my concerns about this space, I'd be interested to hear what what you think uh, of this, is that by buying into the disruptive potential in in a lot of the discussions I've read online, by buying into the disruptive potential and buying into that fresh start, I I, I worry sometimes that there is a, um, a buying into the broader, like, crypto ideological project whether people mean to or not and that ideological project i think is profoundly dangerous in that it is it seems to me and this ties to like the libertarian aspects of crypto is it seems to me to be a way to launder inequality like at a fundamental level right it's this idea that there will be a crypto like a, a crypto messianic event, a crypto apocalypse. And then on the, and I think that this drives the, like the fear of missing out and the kind of boosterism behind so much of crypto discourse is there'll be a crypto messianic event. And on the other side, people will be assorted in relationship to this like libertarian meritocracy, right? We're, you know, how well did you do and how well you did is going to be about how good or smart or elect like in an almost Christian sense, you are and not like a result of the stuff we know structures people's access to opportunities every day in the real world society. 
and that seems like that seems like very far away from from this kind of like lower level discussion about like how are the music industry going to change over time but i do worry about like the the um embrace of a fantasy of disruption where somehow there's an assumption that like old inequalities are going to drop away and i just feel like ground rule like old inequalities don't drop away they can be worn down they can be fought against they can be undone by like careful painstaking desperately difficult work but they don't drop away because of a new technology and it feels like sometimes some of these discourses then are not defending themselves against these kind of potential inequalities and these like often malicious powers that we know about in ways that maybe older older versions did yeah yeah it's like it's it feels like in these discussions like there's a dichotomy which is either like you maintain what we have now which sucks or you burn it all to the fucking you go our way and you burn it all to the fucking ground and like the question is if we did burn it all to the ground and we rebuilt it in these like new technologies who's to say that the the systems of hierarchy that we exist in now are just rebuilt in like a you know with it in a different type of technology with a different kind of look you know and i and i don't see that conversation happening in this space like what sam says like where's the defense in that yeah so i think the issue just so i the, the first podcast that i was on with y'all i talked about the my issue with the napster narrative that like napster destroys the music industry and so i'm going to repeat a little bit of that because i feel like that the reason why i was so excited to be on that to be on that show to talk about it is because if you go into the looking into the music industry and think that napster is why the music industry tanked and why artists are struggling and why this, like we have news currently political economies because of napster then like yeah then you can sort of look at crypto and look at web3 it's like oh there's a new savior it's, 20, it's been 20 years since we got a new savior we have a new savior coming and it's like hold up hold up hold up napster didn't do i'm not going to say didn't do shit because it obviously had a major impact on the music industry but a lot of the reasons why the music industry was struggling were issues that it were that basically go back to the 70s they go back to the crisis of the 70s. They also go back to the crisis of even the 90s. Because I, I so on my newsletter, Penny Fractions, the, this, the start of the year, I wanted to do histories of the three major labels. And one of the reasons I want to do these histories is because when you actually follow the history of Warner, Universal, and Sony, it becomes much clearer what actually was happening up through the actual sort of trough of the music industry after the 90s boom. It isn't so in Warner's example, and I'll get I'll get to Web3 crypto, I'll be very brief, but it's like in Warner's example, Warner was struggling since basically the early 90s because of a series of very bad mergers that there are many books written about what happened with, with, with Time Warner and other mergers with Warner in, in the 90s. That really had a detrimental impact on Warner music in particular. That's like one of the reasons why Warner was struggling and it right now one of the like more of the major labels is not is not at the zenith of a of a UMG. Sony Sony came about because they bought CBS Records, and CBS Records basically had Bruce Springsteen, Bob Dylan, Michael Jackson, and a few other major artists, but actually really wasn't that successful of a record label. So Sony was able to buy it because again, going back to the eighties, CBS was in massive debt, so they were like, we have to hawk parts of our company. So that's why Sony ends up getting them, and then UMG. UMG comes around basically because a rich guy who is the heir of the Seagrams, I mean, as you guys already talked about, who is the heir of the Seagram fortune was like, I want to get into music because I think it's fun and cool. And like, that's why we have three major labels. And it isn't because of like 
Oh, and like what happened with those labels is they laid off thousands of people because they were not making a lot of money. They all of a sudden had to adjust to the changes of the iTunes store, which again, I will say this, anyone that's interested, please look at the record sales in the UK, not the United States, in the UK, and you will see that the drop in record sales doesn't happen around Napster. It happened in the mid-2000s with the arrival of the iTunes store and the actual mass adoption of iTunes. Like, these are the actual, like, changes that actually impacted the record industry along with a lot of other consolidation and all this other kind of stuff. So the reason I say all this is because if you go on the assumption that Napster or those digital moments are when things change, then you're like, oh, great, Web3, that's the new one. That's, this is the moment of change, and we have to get, on, get in on it now. Rather than it being like, wait a minute, before we used to have, like, four or five big labels. Now we only have three. And all three of these big labels have massive like teams and organizations that can, one, invest into nearly every one of these companies that are coming out here, buy up any of these companies that they want to buy up, and are also partnering with basically any NFT product that is actually of big relevance to them. So it's already a space where it's like, the major players, to Sam's point, are already sort of stepping in and trying to eye it. And we can get into more like of the actual like things they're doing in the space. But I do kind of want to like state that like we don't really we aren't starting fresh with this. We're already starting with a certain political economy that skews in a certain direction that I feel like a lot of these boosters just flat, 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 plainly ignore. Yeah, that's a really, really interesting point and not one I had quite ever thought through before and this is kind of like the broader silicon valley ideology right like if you were if you reject the idea that tech is somehow fundamentally you know it's a different not in size or variety but a different in kind right that it is qualitatively and not quantitatively different than what came before ever in human history, then there is this kind of techno-determinism, right? Where it's it's Napster that killed the things, it's Web3 that's going to bring change things again. Um, and in some ways, I feel like for Silicon Valley, obviously, that's been incredibly useful. It's why um, companies want to be tech companies, because then they don't need to show things like profit or like reasonable growth plans. You can just scale up indefinitely, when actually, fundamentally, I think from, from a position of... of, of you know, uh, an analysis of capitalism. There are differences, of course, but they're not like vast fund. It's not, they didn't, they're not all of a sudden able to fly when everyone else could only walk. And so then the question becomes, I think, and it's, in some ways for me, it's a more interesting set of questions. It's not like, will the Messiah come? It's like, as this genuinely interesting set of technologies and smart folks trying to figure them out as they kind of develop and like this these new fiefdoms basically emerge like are there possibilities to make this a more equitable music industry like is there a way to like get some more <laughs> from for fans for artists from the relatively select group of people who are profiting from both tech and the music industry. Um, and I don't know, but to me, that's actually a much more, the answer to that question is going to be much messier and much realer and much more connected, I think, to uh, A, everything that happened before and the ability to generate answers that we like is, 
I think also going to be based in an accurate analysis of what came before or else you buy into pump and dump schemes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's sort of one of the reasons why I probably have a like maybe harder line disdain for this is because like I, I'm just not, a t- I like, I don't really believe in sort of any tech worldview where tech is like that big of a thing i just i just don't and one of the reasons i don't especially in the context of music is what i was laying out earlier is that when you look at the history of the music industry and especially of the last 20 years it's a a history where major labels basically are the ones that sort of dictate the direction and of things i think that there i think that there's a great pr effort on the on the on the estate of by the estate of steve jobs to tell you otherwise but like that's not true like, the iTunes store doesn't exist unless there are major labels to agree to put all their music on the iTunes store. And I think there's even, like, an even more interesting question to ask, like, if there were 20 labels instead of there only being at that point, I think, four or five, because I don't, I don't remember where the state of BMG at that point, if even the iTunes store, the proposition even makes made sense at that point. Because if there are 20 labels that have to all get online, they may not all agree to go with Mr. Jobs and whatever they're sort of, like, potentially selling. So, Sam, to what you were sort of getting at about, like, what are the potential possibilities, I do think that there is a lot that could be said for artists being able to make money and to connect with their audiences at an earlier date and be able to potentially raise funds and things at sort of, like, earlier points in their career where they don't need to have to get a record label to, to, to like, distribute their music and all of that kind of stuff. I, I say that kind of in theory. But I think in practice, I think at this point, 20 years, we kind of know that also isn't really true. Like there is all art. I mean, like I just downloaded Serato for the first time because I was like kind of interested to like maybe learn to DJ a little bit. And it's like people can download Serato. People can download Fruity Loops. I don't need to tell you the story of Soldier Boy or like any other number of like artists over the last 15 years. That is not a new concept. The ability to like having immediate access to to digital music and be able to like produce it, distribute it and share it. That's not any new. The ability to fundraise from it. I mean, Kickstarter already existed about 10 years ago. So and we saw that there were some Kickstarter music projects and that there were some Patreon Kickstarter projects. But like they never really like that didn't like change the dynamics of the record industry in any real way. And obviously some folks just sort of point out, but like they didn't have access to like tokens and sort of like these, these the like frictionless transition of, of money that we have with like sort of like using ETH to like buy an NFT or whatever. But that again raises the question that I always ask a lot of these folks is like, who are you catering your, your music to or your prop, your art to? Are you catering your art towards your fans or the audience that you want to imagine and build? Or are you creating catering your art and music towards the people with ETH in their wallet? Which, to the point that, Sam, you were making earlier, are people who've already bought into sort of this doomsday scenario where one day you're going to wake up and be like, oh, thank God I have all my ETH and Bitcoin hidden away because that's the only money that we have now. And, and, that, and that's basically what you're sort of like catering your music towards. And like, that's not, I, and I feel like sometimes people get a little like grumpy when I say, some folks get a bit grumpy when I say that, but it's like, that is who you're catering your music towards if that's the direction you want to go, which is fine, whatever, I'm not... I, I'm not going to judge you for that, really. But it is a different thing to, to propose that rather than saying this is going to change fundamentally the record industry. Because nothing has really fundamentally changed the record industry, except for, I would say, what y'all talked about when you were on the talk about Universal, which is streaming. But I don't think that changed the record industry in the way that I think a lot of people 
have understood has changed the record industry. And I honestly will say, like, just because I've been wanting to say this while on your show, it's like, I still don't think we, any of us really fully understand what's even happening to the record industry right now. Like, I actually still think we're all trying to, like, piece together what has fundamentally shifted the last 20 years. And I think we're all kind of a little duping ourselves if we, like, feel like we have it on the ones or have it all down. It's interesting because I also just want, like step back sometimes. I read about this stuff and I sometimes just like step back and think about it like even like outside of the music industry and just consider like our current like state of uh the economy and and the the amount of um disparity between, you know, the the richest and the and and the rest and the rest of us plebe- plebeians down here. And it's just like it, it, it just I don't I feel like this like decentralized sort of like every artist for themselves like you know invest into my like NFT and you'll get like you know this all these like special sort of things and you can collaborate with the artists and stuff I was going through the water and music uh, uh, very detailed uh, research that was done there and it's like who wants to do this. And I feel like most of us are just like we want to buy the record or stream the record and like listen to it and go to a show. It's, it's, it's like there's like this push to like to make fans more involved and I feel like there's only like a number a small number of artists that would that have a fan base that would be willing to like go that deep and intense into the, some of this stuff and then I got to think about like just like the the amount of money that how fan, do fans have the money to invest in like all their favorite artists like this they don't I mean like if we like stop and turn our heads just to the left and like look at like as I just said the economic disparity in this country and let alone the fucking world it's like how much how much capital does the average music listener have to invest into multiple artists it, it just it just and, and the thing that's frustrating and I'll just brief point here is like no one seems to be considering that in this in this research or in these conversations no I, I that makes total sense to me Saxon and and I think that you know, um, kind of connecting to what David said, right, about people with ETH in their wallets. And and I do think that, A, like, there's a complicated and, and I think fundamentally misguided equation of cryptocurrency with somehow the democratization of financial access or financial speculation. And it's just, I think that what, while of course, and this actually goes back, David, to your point of talking to the losers, right? It's that honestly, it's like the great Tom Petty <laughs> said, right? Even the losers yes. get lucky sometimes, and just because you could, you can make, and people have made a lot of money off of crypto, but at some level, if you're just like a Joe Schmo and you made a lot of money off of crypto, maybe you're a genius, but probably you're a loser who got lucky this one time or this set of times because of you were in the right place in the right time and 99.999 times it's the people with extensive fine it's capital wins the house wins in these spaces and so the people with the most eth in their wallets are for the most part gonna be folks with resources and money and so there is this like element of like democratization in this discourse that i think is is really unfounded and is looking at like a couple of like the welsh farmer who made 10 billion dollars off of crypto i'm like yes there is one of him of course i'm not going to say that like a radical new space but i think a lot in the whole it's like gambling right a lot more people lost a lot of money but i do want to kind of um 
the, the question about community, though, I, I think is interesting because because one of the ways I think to, to think about a lot of this is about the if we get rid of this like techno determinism. So it's not a one way street of development. Instead, what we have is different technologies and different social arrangements of music and honestly, like of American society writ large. I mean, one, one of the reasons I think this conversation and these conversations about music matters because I think pretty consistently shit happens here first in these spaces first that then gets spread out to the rest of the American economy. So instead of saying like what is good and, you know, instead of saying like looking at this like process of development, it's possible to like look at different orientations and see what are the good pieces of them and what are the bad pieces of them and try to envision a future that we support, right? So on one side, I think that an underutilized, and me and Saxon have talked about this, uh, I think we talked about this in the last podcast too, right? Like an undervalued part of like the mid 20th century mass consumption is there something profoundly democratic about it right like you can buy your rolling stone cd or record is as is exactly the same as everyone else's rolling stone record and sure it costs money and sure it's mass production and clearly the environmental consequences of growth liberalism are terrible and clearly there are lots of people who weren't included in that but there is still part of the power i think of that cultural moment is this sense of relative openness via a democratized commodity. And similarly, I, I think that there's something about community and online community and the ways that you can create new affective performative communities around artists online. And there there is something there too, right? Like I think that there was a lot of small town kids who were the only kid in their town who listened to the cure. And on clearly you get online and you can find the other cure fans or the other you know k-pop fans or the other pick your poison yeah the utopic moment of like web point one web yeah. one point oh web and 1. i think that's that's a moment that's still with us and so yeah. i do i could see the the impulse or i can see the impulse behind people trying to figure out a way and i've heard this articulated by a couple of different people which is that these communities are the ones that are generating value for these big platforms and i do i've got a lot of sympathy for the idea that if there was a way that you could have the community capture some of that value um as a business proposition that there's something appealing about that like i do get that and, and i think that that's something that also to take seriously totally i i i, I mean i guess this is one of those things where I'll, I'll just be very honest i think my opinions on a lot of these things have changed a lot over the last like six to nine months and i think a lot of it's just influenced by honestly the coronavirus and like the fact that like i hate working from home i like have a white collar job like i said i work at soundcloud i don't like working from home i kind of find on being online for extended periods of time at this point very draining and very like off-putting and i also just to be very honest as like a nerd and as someone that grew up on a lot of online communities and as someone that like i posted on a discord and like i posted recently like like a discord for a site that's a music blog because some kids used to read Andrew Naz's blog, Cocaine Blunts, and 15 Shut years up. later, we're like, oh, I, I miss blogs. I want to make a blog like Andrew's blog. And I like posted that I was like, oh, I'm David in the intro on the Discord. And people are like, oh, hey, David. And like, I like your newsletter. And I'm like, oh, yeah, because the world's that small. Like the internet is actually pretty small. And I think that's something that like I sort of started coming more to grips with is how small these communities actually are. And then also in another way, I've also kind of 
just been very honest. I'm like, I also want those kids that live in those small towns and those losers who don't know anyone that has their shared interests to go find those kids and their communities, though, and find out what your shared interests are. Because I've found, and this is me personalizing, but it's like, I've found that like the internet version of community and the internet specific things that are like sort of being created can be really ephemeral and really like transient. And I honestly kind of increasingly am sort of like, I would not hate if like, instead of us getting like these really flash in the pan internet things and genres and sort of moments, if there were just more like random kids like playing guitar or playing or rapping or doing whatever in their little local space that maybe doesn't have to get like the internet like zeitgeist treatment where we have to ask these questions of like, are you, you're generating, you're generating value for this platform because of this stuff that you're making. It's like, well, no, you're hanging in your garage and you're just working with like whatever. And I know this is like a very like boomer, like, like Luddite kind of like, like POV on, on this. But I think like increasingly, as I sort of see this like rush to try to financialize and try to wring out any money from online transactions and interactions, and to your point about sort of this idea that like, how much do you have to buy into all this stuff? It's like kind of skeeving me out. And maybe this is just me getting older and my like anxieties popping up, but it's increasingly skeeving me out that we kind of are foregoing this idea that like music doesn't have to mean you want to be a career musician and you must be paid for your work. As instead of it being like, maybe there's a starting point where like I'm making music, my friends are making music, we're part of a community, we're doing these things. And then eventually maybe the the monetizing comes later, not first step. It's the fifth step of like one's musicianship or whatever. No, I, I think that really resonates for me. And I think it also probably resonates with Sam. I think this is some like really great points. And I mean, God, where do, I, where do I even begin? I love that you brought this up, but I think it's a good way to sort of take us into like the final third of the episode. But um, yeah, I think I think when that tries to get monetized, I think that's where maybe that skizzy feeling like comes in where it's like, it just, why can't, it, it feels like a little bit inorganic in a sense, you know? And it also, it also plays into this whole thing, this whole theory I have where I'm like, nobody has a hobby anymore. Because if you have an interest, then the immediate question is like, how are you making money at it? little like really funny antidote but i started bartending again like here in atlanta for some extra money and like a guy came in and he was just like basically uh just a contractor for uh develop uh building of uh, golf courses and like he had a few drinks and by the third drink he started talking to me about his art and how he like does all these like really psychedelic oil paintings and does like uh chainsaw sculptures it was showing me and he goes yeah if i ever won the lottery like i would just like retire and like do this it's interesting because he has his job, he has a family that he needs to support, and this is really just like a hobby. And like, there's nothing wrong with that. He's not like trying to like uh, monetize his art that he gets to do like, you know, four or five times a year when he has like a little vacation or whatever, a little free time. You know, so all I'm just saying is I, I think I, it's really interesting, like, like what you're saying, because that, that does seem to be the first step now is that we immediately ask, how do you make the money? You know, and like that seems to be the driving point. But also, I just want to make like like one other point to to the, some of the great things that you said is that um, it, it's interesting because I feel like and maybe this isn't what you're saying, but it does bring it back to a point that I brought up a couple times or rather a question that I brought up a couple times on this show and which might have even brought it up in the last episode, which is if you're an independent artist and you're on Spotify and you're not making money on Spotify, why are you fuck on Spotify? Because there's actually, like, nothing stopping people from, like, 
developing some web 1.0 style message board or some sort of like more non monetizing driven, you know, money driven community online and having that be their space for them to like have this shared interest or to create or whatever. There's nothing stopping us from doing that. It's just that in a sense, and I know I keep bringing this up as well in a sense, like these larger tech companies have kind of like, and the technology has just become so ubiquitous that it just becomes like part of our habit. And it's like the idea of not being able to stream music at any moment of our lives is like, or, and if you're an artist not being on that streaming platform because of this like imaginary moment where that one person who's like, you know, has a ton of money, like, and wants to license you your song for like a Pepsi deal, like, you know, here's your song, like not even like putting yourself out there, quote unquote, which is also part of this whole culture. Like, it seems absurd. Like, no, you gotta be on it. But I'm saying, I think that like, you know, the que- real question is like, do you really actually need to be on this? No. Do you really need to do these things? No, you don't. I'll be very very quick on this but i think so yeah i think that's a point that i think is like i think folk just kind of need to think harder a little bit on the on what you just said what you just said there and that you can step away from the platforms i think this is something that i think about a lot where it's like i would be fine if i couldn't get all music on all platforms that's fine i actually don't need access to all music at all times it's fine. It's actually like totally okay if I don't have access to all access to all music at all time. Or if I do, we can also say that it costs more money or whatever. I like I, I feel like the current dynamic I'm not like super attached to. But to the point about sort of the monetization and to that point about the artist that you that, that you met at, at the bar, like that's something. And again, this is like just to be very real, the reason part of the reason I've thought more about this, like so my mom's like about to retire. She's a librarian. She will hopefully retire in 2023. And she has hated working the last decade. Like she's hated it, but she's also hated it, especially during COVID. All she wants to do is just quilt. She doesn't want to like do anything else. She just wants to quilt. And that's basically it. But does she want to like quilt for her job? Does she want to like make money off quilts? No, she just like wants to do this thing that brings her pleasure. And it's something that also could be quilt for myself, quilt for someone in need. It's like something that she wants to do that is like rewarding for her in a way that is not monetarily like that doesn't need a monetary transaction. And I was thinking of, and I guess I was also sort of thinking about this because like a friend of mine, like my friend Nicola, shout to Nicola, like just meant like asked me like what text was my like what was my favorite job, and I was like that I had, and I was like oh yeah, when I worked at a library because like I did things that helped people, like it was a very clear thing. And occasionally I sort of feel that like music has all these has so much that it can give. And I feel that it's such a shame that like the immediate thought is you made a song, I got to figure out monetizing it. I got to figure out how you can get in on the crypto or streaming or sync or whatever lottery chant that's going to make it so you can keep doing this thing versus like, oh, I made music because I love making music and I want to share it with people. And I think that's something that like, and I also, sorry, I'll be very, sorry. Uh, it's a quick audit, but it's like, it's the, I also, I will say, I do think a lot of this is also influenced by the pandemic in the last two years. I don't think any of this stuff happens the same way if we're not locked inside for two years. It's the, it's the reason why crypto, and I guess this just get a little bit nerdy on it, but like the reason why crypto, GameStop, AMC, like all these tech stocks that have been blowing up and have now been deflating over the last few months, it's all because people downloaded an app, Robinhood, and a couple other mobile trading apps to buy stocks because they were stuck at home. 
found a way to, that they could ride the wave of sort of tech money. And again, low interest rates and all the quantitative easing over the last decade plus, they could ride that into getting this sort of like, hopefully trying to make a better buck for themselves, which like no shots, that's fine, do what you do. But I think that's kind of warped a lot of people's brains into thinking, oh yes, what I actually want to do every day is trade stocks and try to like look at my phone, hoping that I'm going to make a few extra bucks doing some kind of gaming. And I want to take that gaming aspect to music, video games, or just all aspects of life potentially. And that's kind of where I get so skeeved out, so skeeved. I mean, two two things on that, right? So for I I I a hundred percent agree with that. And I was actually thinking of when I was thinking and doing some research for this episode. It's it's one of I think the skeevy things about yeah. Uh, sorry, I'm gonna one of I think the skeevy uh, no that that's such a great that's such a great point. And and I, I think it's it's possible to expand it even further, right? Like that sense of like the 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 gamification of all things and i think there's there's like that that skeevy that that feeling of skeev right is like is right and i i think that there's like a broader almost like ideological reason for it right because at some level the crypto like the the investment the engagement with these forms of cryptocurrency and other things is like people say they're a ponzi scheme in like a limited sense right in that you need to have new suckers come in so that it boosts the, the, the total of, of this asset, whether that's an NFT or a coin or a community. But also I think it, it's kind of like a, like a Ponzi scheme in like a very deep sense in that the only way it's possible at some level to make money on this is if there's a group of people who are in this world and there's a broader group of people who are out of this world because at some level i think if everyone was doing what you were saying right like trying to hustle to make a few bucks if everyone was a disruptive innovator if everyone was an entrepreneur what you would have would be hell right there would be no society every social bound would be this like intense competitive it would literally be like the like rousseauian not rousseauian it would literally be like a Hobbesian state of nature. And it's like, and almost I feel like it comes, it's like, it's a projection on that, right? Like some people are animals and they're getting the crypto money and other people are like locked into this loser society. But actually you couldn't universalize the vision of what a successful crypto person would be. <laughs> if you did, it would be, everything would fall apart. And so there, I think that skeeziness is because there's a, there's a sense that like you need some people who don't know and some people who do know the secret knowledge to make the system work. So that's kind of the other thing I just wanted to think about, though, is kind of thinking about what you were saying about and kind of maybe start closing out to, to zoom out again. Right. Um, because this conversation has been far too wrapped up in concrete details about places and things and people. <laughs> uh, <laughs> is that like. I think that political economy is important to bring back into this, right? I was thinking about what you said a, a few minutes ago about the kind of ephemerality of many of these digital scenes and how exhausting it is. And then I was thinking also about kind of like what it means to, you know, have a job and a hobby. And, and both of these are rooted in specific are not universally existing natural things. They're rooted in very specific social, political, economic dynamics, right? And 
as we like think through what the future is going to be in music, what the future is going to be generally as we fight for futures that we want to see, we have to think about like what kind of political economy we want to have, right? So one of the things I wonder about, and that might actually be like a kind of more optimistic note on some of these kind of like uh, community crypto projects, which we haven't really talked about, but like it is this idea that in some ways a artists community of fans will all kind of buy in and receive tokens that reflect um, a certain level of access and a certain level of commitment to an artist and then if the artist gets more successful those tokens will also appreciate in value right it's a way like we've said to monetize these fairly limited communities and part of it i do wonder though is that having financial support for a thing really helps you to do the thing for a longer period of time and do it more successfully. Like hobbies exist at some level because of day jobs. I would say that the sense of yeah. what, what you were saying, Saxon, about like no one has hobbies anymore, everyone has hustles, is because of the instability and precarity that have washed through the society at ever, lapping higher and higher up the kind of like the wage scale over the past 30 to 40 years. And similarly, I wonder about like whether some of the ephemerality and exhaustion and unhealthiness of some of these digital spaces, where you were saying, David, about like the boom and bust of attention that goes around a hot one is because in many ways of the fundamental instability or unsustainability of places that don't have proper of social formations that don't have proper economic support and i do wonder is if you had a online social formation that was tied into a community with more financial support whether you could have more stability there right whether that maybe some of the ickiness is the anti-human nature of how fast things move online and if you had people who were they were really committed to it and you might get more of the you have i'm sure you've like been on like a well-tended reddit board or, or you know yeah. subreddit, a well-tended subreddit where like everyone here is invested in this community and it sort of feels like a nice local park and when people throw trash in it everyone's like get out of here with your trash like this is our like beloved r slash native plants or whatever and yeah no i, I yeah i appreciate i appreciate you bringing up this point because it, it, it was the one aspect of it that I, I wanted to mention after after that is that like i don't want it to sound like what i'm saying is suggesting that musicians who aren't making money should just all of a sudden turn their art into a hobby like that you know because also there are these bigger yeah. systematic and historical reasons for like why we are where we are so i do appreciate you bringing that up sam yeah and also i'll say that i'll i'll, I'll be honest i i will have like kind of like a more outlier luddite opinion where i actually do think we probably do i mean honestly i wish we broke the internet we don't need internet or anything like that i think we could take back some technologies <laughs> i'll, I'll yeah. just say it and i also and the reason part of the reason i actually even say that is because i feel like again sorry to be like a like a boomer on this but it's like i feel like i've seen so many of these things sort of move around and, and change so much that i'm like i kind of want sort of the like slowness of reality and mm -hmm. physical space and a lot more of the tangibility of it which has its own obviously as 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 all of us would know having been in brooklyn before has its own political economy that um, <laughs> are very in themselves have a lot of issues that we could you can investigate but i still think that that is to me in some ways a preferable political vision of what i want out of music like that's like i think where i sort of have my ideological ideological shift with a lot of these things is that like i would like to re 
if we're going to reimagine music and reimagine what we want out of music, which is what a lot of these Web3 people want us to think, it's like NFTs, Web3, this is a way for us to rethink, to like start new with a lot of this stuff. If we're going to start new with music, I want it to be grounded where I live and where I wake up and go every day. I want music to sort of be representative of the people that I see outside of my street, not who I see on my computer screen that I'm self-selecting ultimately. Yeah, and, it, and it's difficult to even see the sort of values in which you, you express, to even see those types of values in any of the technological stuff that we're talking about. You know, And Sam and I were kind of talking a little bit before this episode about DAOs and like, you know, could that be a space that was like more, you know, egalitarian or whatever, but it, when it's based off of like the value of like the entry cost or coin or whatever, you know, and like, and that creating a sort of like rising value, it's, it just seems like once again, we're not, you know, we're not, we're, we're... A, a DAO being a kind of decentralized Basically, like a decentralized corporation with a set of coded ground rules and decision-making structure that, like, folks buy into. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and but it, yeah, it's because I guess we were thinking about Fugazi again, as we often do, and just their approach to you know, you pay ten dollars at the door. There's a limited capacity at the door, but then like it's priced at ten dollars because nothing else gets sold there it's just like the music and the performance and they price it at ten dollars because like if they're shitty that night well you only spent ten dollars you know and there's just something like there's something sort of like and if they're great that night if they're great that night it was only ten dollars and, and paying more like that greatness is unrelated to the amount of money that they they want that great list to be unrelated to the amount of money that people spent and yeah. everyone's paying the same ten dollars you don't get to have a like you know vip if you don't get a vip or a special t-shirt or like whatever and so we're so then then like taking that and yeah maybe it's a little ludite maybe it's a little like stuck in the past but then taking that and turning towards all these new technologies in which we're talking about and these new developments you it you can't find that in that space and it's like i think what fugazi was doing even if it is a little bit of a you know slightly archaic example like the values that are involved in that process Aren't, aren't archaic like why can't we have those values now and then when you look at the space you don't see those values and so like that to me is once again another red flag at why i'm skeptical totally, totally. i mean i also would even say i think this is again goes to go back to what i've been kept going back to is like i kind of like fundamentally don't want to buy into the narrative and i think when you yeah, don't exactly. buy into the narrative yeah. then all this just becomes a lot like eh, well, it becomes less it becomes less interesting it also becomes a lot less like exciting in a way because you're like oh if i don't the reason i don't buy into the narrative is because it's like universal music group sony music entertainment and warner music group have multiple nft projects metaverse projects all they're just sort of swimming around coachella just announced a lifetime nft that you can purchase i've sat in on discords where people who are and probably kids who are younger than me are like i think nft like ticket ticketing an nft is going to change up the game and i'm like you know that Live Nation AEG control like over like 90% of live music like in this country. If there's not there's there's no like technology that sniffs under their radar. There can be yeah. regulation, <laughs> there can be other forms of the state or other actors challenging them to make changes like that. 
But there isn't like a disruptive technology that sniffs under the radar of those two firms, much less the three major labels, much less all the streaming platforms. Like these are not, I to what Sam said earlier, is like these are not like you we aren't gonna flip a dime and wake up and be like, oh, now I'm in the crypto future where we got rid of all the old firms and old players. No, what you're gonna do is wake up and it's gonna be like, oh wow, damn, I can't believe it. I have to pay. $75 to get the Olivia Rodrigo NFT if I want to go to her show, but I also will have to pay $125 for the next NFT so I can try to get a lower bowl seat. Oh, wait, I have to pay $400 to even get that ticket after the two layers of NFTs I already bought? Oh, man, I love Web3. I love the future. It's so good. Like, that's what you're going to probably get. And there'll be some people who have cool NFT art projects on the side that are really exciting, really cool for their communities and speak a lot to them. But for the majority of us and for the majority of folks, unless there is an actual, like, again, political reasoning or political change to make these things better, you're going to end up with all of a sudden, yo, there's a reason why I want to see, like, so my friends are looking at Bad Bunny tickets, hundreds of dollars to see Bad Bunny play Yankee Stadium. I'm going to tell you right now, the NFT ticket to Yankee Stadium to see Bad Money is not going to be any cheaper. I already like can tell you that right now. Well, I think that's a great place to tie a bow on this episode. Uh, David Turner, Penny Fractions, uh, tell the people where they can find you. Totally. So, my, yeah, David Turner, you can just Google search Penny Fractions and you'll come across my newsletter. I also have a Twitter account for Penny Fractions, which I don't really use quite as much. I think I put in the bio, low, like the low usage account because I don't really... <laughs> As you can probably tell, I'm trying really not to be online because I just find it a very loathsome place, especially right now, especially right now. As always, um, we love hearing from from folks. Questions, comments, complaints, kvetches, uh, moneyfornothingpodcast at gmail.com. We also now have a Twitter account at M4NPodcast, so you can kvetch in a digital space these shows take a, a lot of a lot of research and time so um we really appreciate you guys spraying the good word the good gospel of money for nothing um and rate and review us on itunes or now spotify i guess um so yeah or in your like uh reddit forum or whatever but uh yeah thanks uh thanks again to david turner and thanks for listening and we'll see you again in a couple weeks